0: If you're not already there, Romans 15, thank you for helping prepare each other's hearts for continued worship and the hearing of God's Word. I don't want anyone to ever believe that the only part of worship is hearing preaching. We live worship-filled lives, so we're worshiping all day long as we walk with the Lord. When we come together, we're just actually fulfilling uh, a biblical opportunity and obligation that God outlines us for us in Scripture, of making sure that we worship Him together in spirit and in truth on a regular basis on the Lord's day. And worship includes a lot of things in addition to just hearing God's word, which is always going to be preached here. Uh, it begins with your heart preparation in the morning before you come. It continues as you meet and greet each other here and entice one another to love and good deeds. Uh, worship is fellowship before a class, after a class, during a class, in the fellowship hall. Worship includes the singing and the preaching and the weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. We, I just sent the Gordon, Gordon Austin family out to Hillcrest because um, we have a Bethany Miley in our church who was taken to the hospital this morning. She's in a tremendous amount of pain and and uh, we need to pray for her real quickly here. But the Austins are on the way to see the Miley's this morning. But um, that's weeping with those who weep. This is all what we do together as a family, and it's necessary. And so, but now we have the opportunity to honor the Lord in one aspect of worship, which is preach the word and do it instant, be it instant in season and out of season, right? Amen. Preach it when it's popular and still keep preaching it when it's not so popular. <laughs> and uh, That's what we'll do this morning. Before we dive into these 29 verses, let's take a moment to pray together uh, and then we'll preach. Father in heaven, we love you. I thank you so much for this divine opportunity that we have to, as many, come together as one body to present ourselves in worship to you this morning. May everything that you hear and see be acceptable in your sight as our strength and our Redeemer. We are not here to please men. Lord, we know that your church is not a goods and services organization. It is an institution that you established upon your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to do the Great Commission and equip the saints to do the work of the ministry of the Great Commission. And So as we look at your word this morning, we need your guidance and your help. We lift up to you, Lord Bethany, this morning, Uh, Lord, to be merciful to her, and I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen Zach, her husband, as he ministers to her, and uh, I know, Lord, uh, the Austins have a tremendous gift of mercy, and I pray as they minister to them that you would give them the words uh, to speak to them from Scripture and in prayer that would uniquely minister to their hurting hearts at this time. We ask, Lord, that you would raise her up quickly. And even allow her to return home today, if it would please you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I often do when we look at a larger text of Scripture, I like to give you the outline ahead of time, so we don't lose our way through so many verses. So what we're going to discuss here in the first 13 verses is a precedent of gospel advancement. A precedent. And... We'll discover who and how the gospel precedent is set for us here. In verses 14 to 16, I want to discuss with you preparation for gospel advancement. Preparation, a precedent, a preparation, and then finally in verses 17 to 29, the pursuit of gospel advancement, the pursuit of gospel advancement and uh, As you know, it is not customary for me to cover so many verses in one time, but I really think that this particular portion of Scripture presents itself well to be discussed in one time together. I believe this portion of Scripture could really be preached in any missions conference around the world. Uh, Really what Paul's putting in print here for us is the reality of how the gospel advances forward and forth from a healthy church. That's really what he's saying here. We understand Romans 14. We've discussed how two groups of people are to live a holy love between each other. We know that these two groups of people were not at odds with each other. The text in front of us this morning is going to highlight how strong and how healthy this church actually was, but Paul's just admonishing them to continue in that unity and giving them some parameters upon which that holy love can be maintenanced. But what's happening here in chapter 15 is Paul is going to discuss very clearly for each and every one of us here this morning, as he did for the church in Rome, how the gospel is advanced from our midst to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world because you are healthy people. It's assumed in Scripture that when any local church is healthy, spiritually healthy, that the gospel will advance from them to their area, to their regions beyond their area, to their nation and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. Can you remember that? That's all chapter 15 saying. Don't pack up your Bibles and think about sleeping. You never do. But think about that. That's the gist of this text. So as we go through all 29 verses, you're going to say, wow, that's a lot of material. I need to go back. And Pastor Tim may have you know, skipped over or slid by some things here. Uh, I want to let you know, go back and study this text. Be the Bereans that God's called you to be. I think that's wonderful. But understand this, if you don't understand anything else, since you are a healthy church, the gospel will advance forward from you. It just will. My friends, it is. It is. In our Jerusalem, and in our Judea and Samaria, and in the world. By 2030, for those of you who are newer to Grace Church of Mentor, we have a goal... Of global gospel advancement, developing among like minded churches a network for global gospel advancement by 2030. And can I tell you, that's happening? That's happening. By the end of November, we will have increased our global gospel partnerships among like minded people by 7,000 churches. That's globally. It's happening. You say we're such a small church, and we are. By industry standards, we're a medium-sized church. We're not even close to large. How in the world can God get the gospel out to the world through such a small group of people? Well, He turned the world upside down with 12 ordinary men in the first century. If the God who spoke our world into existence can also be enfleshed and take five loaves and two fishes and feed fifteen to 20,000 people. Certainly, he can take your simple gospel obedience and reach the world for Jesus Christ with five or 600 people. You say, well, Pastor Tim, I haven't even been out of the state of Ohio since I was 15. How in the world can that happen? He just does it, and we're going to see it in this text this morning. So follow along with me and let's discuss how the gospel advances from healthy places. I want to let you know that there was nothing in this text before us that speaks of anything sensational or extraordinary that's going on. We know any time there's gospel advancement... It typically comes from healthy local churches. We would say that's certainly supernatural activity. But yet it's naturally supernatural. There's nothing extraordinary going on here outside the fact that this is a disciple-making group of people that's growing each other in the Word, and because they're healthy and unified, they have a heart for gospel advancement, and Paul knows that. And and Paul is going to springboard from Rome to the western uttermost parts of the earth known at that time from Rome because they're healthy. So this is normative. That's what I'm trying to say. It's normal. It's normal. So I guess we could say, based on the authority of Scripture, okay, that it's abnormal when any size church in any culture is not realizing gospel advancement according to Acts 1.8, from her midst. Are you with me? We could say it would be abnormal, regardless of the degree of advancement. It would be abnormal then for any sized church in any culture not to realize gospel advancement according to Acts eight from her midst. Well, we don't know the size of the church that Paul writes to here. We know that it's not the largest church of the first century. Historians tell us that was probably Ephesus. And at her peak, she was maybe 250 to 300 people. So you're double her size. And we know what Ephesus did for the gospel advancement. Well, Paul says Rome's healthy, and he's assuming their participation in this advancement. But the precedent here in verses 1 to 13 is simple. Because he says... In verse 1, now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those who are without strength and not just to please ourselves. It sounds like a repeat of what we went through in chapter 14, doesn't it? And you're going to see the same thing again happening in verses 7 and 8. This is a review of what they've been participating in unity in chapter 14. But he gives us here an example of someone who understood the nature and the progress of gospel advancement. Look with me, if you will, in verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through the perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. The Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel ministry on earth sets for us a perpetual example or precedent of why we want to maintenance unity so the world can be reached for the Lord Jesus Christ. In the verses that Pastor, uh, excuse me, in the verses that were read earlier, what did we find out? And again, go back and study on your own time. This gospel advancement, Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for everybody, right? Both Jew and Gentile. This was an impartial advancement. Paul mentions that here in the verse, first 13 verses. In Christ, we have a mutual responsibility to accept his, not just his life by grace, but gospel advancement by grace in an impartial way. We do so not only impartially, not playing favorites, but sacrificially. Here he quotes in the context from Psalm 69. And I believe we can look at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, that as we're nurturing each other and fulfilling the law of Christ, we're maintenancing that health within, the gospel will go out from among us. It will go out from among us. So we continue with two common realities under Christ's precedent and one common focus. We have a complete righteousness and hope in Christ. That came to us the day we were born again. And we have the opportunity to extend ourselves in sacrifice as He did for us by bearing the reproach that the weak or even that the strong among us bring at times. Verses 5 and 6 tell us that we enjoy common fruitful productivity among us. The text says that we have the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. In other words, the same mind. We're thinking the same thing that Christ thinks of us when he considers us his children. And we're thinking the same way. We are the children of Christ So that, the text goes on to say, with one accord, you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not only thinking the same thing, we're saying the same thing. We're completely unified in the whole of our person individually, to the whole of our church collectively. We're healthy and we're following even the precedent that the Lord Jesus Christ establishes and how he thinks of us and what he says about us. We are accepted in the beloved in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone and his finished work on the cross of Calvary. Now, as we grow each other up in Christ's likeness, we also are thinking and saying the same thing. Verses seven and eight, by way of review, Paul teaches us to accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the Jew. That's the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God. Verse 9. And for the Gentiles, according to God's mercy, he's impartial in his approach. Verses 9 to 12 references Psalm 18 49 and verse 9. And Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 43 and verse 10. Romans 15 to remind us that clear back in the Old Testament, God had intended the Jews and Gentiles to rejoice together in the common reality of owning and growing in Christ. Verse 12 quotes Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 and 10. It reminds us that in history past that he, Christ, who is of Jewish descent, accepts both Jew and Gentile in himself and can be fairly trusted by all for salvation. I think of Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ, Jesus. So what Christ has accomplished in Rome, because we know there's formerly religious weak people there who are now born again, And we know they're strong. So what Christ has accomplished in Rome, he longs to accomplish in all men's hearts, in every church, in every place. Though they're strong and weak, we're all in Christ. And we can be grown in Christ, mutually, collectively, so that there could be a healthy environment for gospel advancement. Christ brought spiritual health to earth in himself. And when we... Repent from our sins and place our faith in Him alone, He restores our soul. He renovates us. He regenerates us. And He sets us on a path of pursuing Christ's likeness and spiritual health. Why? Why? For gospel advancement purposes. Our country, right? Your internet web browser might be packed and saturated with the opportunities to go to you know tens and hundreds of different conferences on Bible topics or spiritual self-help opportunities. And and I'm and I'm telling you folks, I know there's a lot of good ones out there. But Rome was not involved. I, I guarantee you, if they had screens in their lives, their their browser history would not be inclusive of going outside their local church to hundreds and hundreds of spiritual self-help corrective conferences. Because Paul's going to tell us here just in a minute that wasn't necessary because they were healthy, because they were growing each other in Christ-likeness. They had a natural, supernatural thing happening here. They understood the precedent that Christ had set in his own life. That he came to give them salvation and spiritual health so they could move forward. What does he say in verse 13? Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, you probably remember back to the last word of verse 4, and this is the third time the word hope is mentioned here. Within the context, as you go back and study it in your own time, I think it's incredibly important to remember that healthy people are gospel advancement people, but they're also very hopeful people. Spiritually healthy flocks of people shepherd each other in the word, they reproduce themselves in their community, and they're pursuant of Acts 1-8 completely within their lifetime, and while they're doing so, if they're distracted by anything or anyone, it is Jesus Christ, coming in the clouds. That's our distraction. Our distraction is not about looking around and being distracted by all the world can have to offer, but by looking up and then preparing the world by trying to reach the world to be prepared to see Jesus Christ. Because the world will only see Him as Savior or as judge. So our hope and our pursuit upon the precedent of what Christ has set for us is to prepare the world to meet Jesus as Savior. As Savior. I find it interesting, if you want to cross-reference in the margin of your Bible next to verse 13 here, 1 Thessalonians chapters 1 through 5. This is a healthy church in Thessalonica. Each one of the five chapters finishes with a mention of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their imminent hope. Churches that are saved, churches that are growing each other in the word of God, churches that are saturating their Jerusalem with the gospel, and that is naturally, supernaturally advancing from there, they're hopeful people. That was Thessalonica. Look at chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians on your own time. From you, Paul says, sounded out the word of the Lord from Thessalonica to Macedonia and to Achaia. To the point where Paul said, every place I go in your region, I have nothing to say to anybody. Because you've already reached them. Healthy churches that are spiritually reproductive naturally experience gospel advancement according to Acts 1.8. This is not difficult to understand. So Paul says you're well prepared. Verses 14 to 16. Paul has already heard of their own spiritual self-assessment and he knows they're healthy. What are the qualities, what are the natural qualities of spiritual preparedness in any congregation that is poised for gospel advancement. It says right here in verse 14, and concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced, and here's three virtues of healthy churches that are poised for gospel advancement. You are full of goodness. You are full of goodness. You're filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. Now remember, folks, Paul had never physically visited this church. This is the testimony that had sounded out from them back to him. And this this is how healthy this group of people is. I'm going to highlight these three virtues of a church that's healthy and poised for gospel advancement real quickly because I really believe you folks are mirroring in your own life the same characteristics and the same health. How do we understand filled with goodness? I just simply believe it means moral excellence. These people are known in the community as morally sound people. They're morally sound people. They're obviously not violent people. They're obviously not people involved in in immorality or any type of Intimacy outside of the bonds of biblical marriage. They're morally sound. The text says here they're filled with knowledge. They're spiritually mature. They're increasing. And I really believe this quality is connected to the third quality. They're filled with knowledge. They're growing in their spiritual maturity because they are able to admonish one another. It's powerful wording here, study it on your own, but this word able to admonish one another. Nowhere in 16 chapters of the book of Rome are the pastors of this church directly addressed. Everything in this letter is given to the whole of the flock. So that meant that the members... The Church of Rome, and he doesn't give us any delineation of age, biological age. Think about that, teenagers and college kids. There's no delineation of age. He is saying, no direct address to pastors. He's saying to the flock at Rome, You are able to admonish one another. And the word admonish just simply means, if you study it, Within various contexts throughout the whole New Testament, the first century mind would have understood this to to mean that they were able to meaningfully and capably apply the scriptures to each other's lives to help them to grow in their faith. Now, teenager, can you do that with another teenager today? College student? Many of you are already doing it. We want to either write or provide for you quality resources about the Bible so that you can take each other deeper into the Word of God. And the more you mature each other, the more we can be poised to advance the Gospel from this place. These are morally sound people. They're spiritually mature people. And they're meaningfully training each other in the Word of God. They're prepared. The humble confidence that Paul has known the Roman church to collectively enjoy is a humble confidence that I believe that Grace Church of Menor has and should have as we continue to grow each other in the word and because of that health, expect God to advance the gospel from us. verse 15 Paul had not written them to bring a corrective they're prepared but to show them his confidence in their ability to assist him in gospel advancement I've written to you very boldly he says not to correct you but to encourage you you're prepared and from you verse 16 I want to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles increasingly Ministering as a priest, the gospel of God. As a priest in Christ, he's telling each one of the priests at Rome, and in the Bible, priests are just born-again Christians. So he speaks to you, each and every one of you at Grace Church of Menor, who are in Christ alone, by faith alone, by grace alone. You are the priests. That are poised and prepared to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul is just a humble minister that sets the example as we seek to follow him as he follows Christ. So there are prepared people. When I do the disciple-making seminar, uh, I use the illustration of preparing the nursery. Some of you that have taken the seminar may remember that. Uh, When you maybe had the opportunity to bring your firstborn child home from your house, you may have taken a little time to some portion of your room, your bedroom, or maybe a, a room adjacent to yours to prepare a unique spot for that little one to come home. And... That may have been a very much protected spot in your home. It was protected in my home. Right? We got new carpet. I got new paint. I got a new wallpaper border. We had new furniture. i right? never been slept on before, a baby mattress, right? The clothes were packed in the drawers, right? Everything was set up. The diaper changing table. I'm a little weird. I even like to sweep the carpet with designs in it if, it ha- if it's designable. And, and I was the last one to step in that room. I wouldn't even let my mom go in it. When she came to see the nursery, she could watch it, look at it from the door, but she wasn't allowed to go in and put a footprint on the carpet because that was Caleb's room. <laughs> and I did. I, I tell the people I made her cry. I couldn't believe it. Um, I felt bad. I felt bad. But I, for some reason, still never let her in. <laughs> right? We prepared the nursery for a little one to come home. I grew up in a pastor's home. I was, the Lord mercifully saved me as a young boy. I've been in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches across our land and across the world. People that preach the Word of God, they do it faithfully. All of it. And they're in plateau and they're in decline. There are many thousands of churches across our country and the world are scratching their heads when they don't itch. Why is Jesus not building His church here? Knowing that all these places preach fully the Word of God. These are good leaders and good people. But their churches are going out of existence. My friends, they're going out of existence because they didn't have A biblical health. You see, folks, it's not biblically healthy just to saturate yourself with this book and to know it well in an institutional, academic way. Or even just merely in a personally devotional way. You're just shy of the reason why Jesus Christ came. He did not save you to put you in an institutional learning place to be saturated with knowledge of this book merely so you can continue to learn this book. Remember, the whole chapter is about a healthy church naturally experiences gospel advancement from her wall. You're born again to be edified and to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. Grow each other in the word, but understand that is a means unto an end. Churches that are like ours are dying across the world because they have no great commission purpose in their own town, because they have separated somehow in some type of unique and extraordinary way. In an underwhelming way, should I say. That they're there just to learn the word and to preach it all. And to listen for the trumpet. Wait for Jesus to come back. And that's not it. We're growing each other healthy. And that's why we always say we're going deeper in the word so we can do what? Go wider in our gospel influence according to Acts eight, And in, apparently in Rome there was no soul left behind in this endeavor. He never calls out one portion of this group and says, you're stuck in a ditch. Let's get right. Let's get moving, right? They're they're prepared. The nursery is there. (laughs) The Lord Jesus Christ would never send a newborn baby to a church that was not prepared to care for them. He just doesn't do it. Why would you? You wouldn't give up your child to be cared for by anybody else. It breaks our hearts when we see people in our culture, right? Unwed moms give birth to children in school restroom stalls or homeless moms that leave babies in cardboard boxes on the front steps of YMCAs and social group homes that can care for them. It breaks our hearts. No one does this naturally. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is not going to give sheep to an unhealthy or babies to an unhealthy church to care for and now we know what health means not just growing deeper understanding the world but you taking your ability in the word to train someone else in the word and the deeper we go together not individually the broader our influence in the gospel becomes and we see that in verses 17 to 29 as we close Verses 17 and 18, he says, I've found reason for my boasting in Christ. I've found reason for my boasting in the things pertaining to God. He didn't say that this was exclusively his boasting. He's boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ. And cross-reference here, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, where there's similar language. It's only because of the sufficiency of Christ's atonement on the cross that we have anything to boast in. Or about. Paul's success has been gospel success. He writes here to the Romans knowing that they have seen the same success in their own city and their boasting should also be and was in the cross of Christ alone. He says here in verse 19, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem to Elycrium. Paul has his converts, and those converts have helped him saturate that vast region with the gospel. And I encourage you on your own time, go study the geography that's being described here. And you see a playing out of Acts 1:8. Naturally healthy people in local churches who are spiritually reproductive, advance the gospel. There's gospel caution given here, a little reminder. So he has a review of where the gospel has advanced from in verses 17 to 19. That's the review in his pursuit of gospel advancement. He's got a little reminder here in verses 20 and 21. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. I really believe what Paul's saying here is that. Gospel advancement from healthy churches requires some strategic planning. He already knew. He had gone out and looked to see where solid churches already were, and he wasn't going to look to replant in that town. So he had to knew. He had to know. He schooled himself. He researched. I don't want to put on gospel advance more gospel on where the gospel already is. Uh, Let's advance it. So for Rome, he's about to include them in this strategic plan. So he takes them from Rome to Illichrium and then he says, I've searched other places and if the gospel's there, I'm not going there, but I'm going somewhere. And in his mind, he maps out the geography and assures his conscience that it has advanced with the help of many converts, not just himself, And he's worked with those converts in an interdependent way from Jerusalem to Ehrlichium, the regions around that, in all of the known geography of that time according to his conscience. So that's a pretty heavy burden to give the church of Rome. Well, it's not a burden because they're just another place that's going to interdependently assist. All of the burden's not laid upon one person or one place. It's what like-minded people do together. And he's about to ask the church of Rome to assist him in going to a place where the gospel's not been before. And in verses 22 to 29, he rehearses his gospel plans. And in verses 22 to 24, and verses 28 and 29, before he launches out to the place where the Gospel had not been before, because the Gospel's already been to every other place, he needs a time of being encouraged by God's people. He said, I'm first going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to give to Jerusalem a big offering that's been collected by lots of churches, putting into that offering to be sent back to the church where the Gospel began anyway, because they're hurting. They can't afford to help their poor in their church. So think about that. Before he advances to where the gospel's not been before, he's concerned about where the gospel began. And he's there, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And after I've had a chance to encourage them, and they've had a chance to encourage me, then I'm going to stop by Rome, never been there before, so that I can encourage you, and that you can encourage me. Why? Why? I'm not going to settle down there. I'm going to use you as a naturally healthy church to springboard the gospel. Verse 24. Whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you. When I have first enjoyed your company for a while, but first I'm going to Jerusalem. And why? Verse 26 explains about Macedonia and Achaia giving to the contribution to the poor in Jerusalem, and so forth, and so on. He's headed to Spain, folks. He's headed to Spain. Some authors believe that you might disagree with this because of what you might understand about 2 Timothy 4, if you've been a Christian for a long time, right? that Paul did not die in prison, the historians that I've considered, and I certainly am way open to be corrected by any other church historians in the the room, because I love to keep learning, that Paul most probably died either in Rome on his way to Spain or having entered into Spain in the early days of gospel advancement to that place where the gospel had not been to before. So he actually finished his life pursuing that which God called His life to do with a clean conscience. With a clean conscience. That's what naturally healthy Christians do. They don't just learn the Word for the Word's sake, they prepare each other in the Word to do Acts 1.8. Verse 28, Therefore, when I have finished this, and I've put my seal on all this fruit of theirs, I will go on my way to Spain. Second time it's mentioned. I know that when I come to see you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. That's a powerful phrase. I'm going to be accepted by a healthy group of people as a healthy individual, and we're going to work together. To launch the gospel to where it's not been before. Christ set the precedent. The church was prepared. And this is a natural, supernatural pursuit of being conscientious. Healthy people are increasingly conscientious about where the gospel is not currently or where it has never been before. Did you hear me, teenagers, college kids, everybody? everyone in this room that claims the name of Christ, if you're healthy, it's assumed in this text that you are increasingly conscientious about where the gospel has not been for some time or where it has never been before. You are burdened for those places in this local church. That's what healthy Christians are. That's what they do. That's what the text is saying. And you may never go to Spain. You may never have grown up in Jerusalem or in the regions all the way to Alicorium. It doesn't matter. Healthy people in local churches are always increasing in their conscientious desire to get the Gospel to where it's not been for some time or to where it's never been before. And we just do it together with other like-minded places. But there's no way, there's absolutely no way that it's going to advance In a healthy way, without what we see in verse 30 that we'll get to next week. Now I urge you, brethren, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your what? There it is. So next week, we're going to give a whole sermon to where the power comes from to advance the supernatural, natural cause as a healthy group of people. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the simplicity of your word. We thank you that the, for the precedent that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to us. We thank you for the unity he brought us with you and then the flock with one another. For the purpose of pursuing spiritual maturity in Christ likeness and the gospel advancement. And I pray, Lord, that Grace Church of Mentor will always be one of your churches that is passionate about maintenance its health so that we could advance the gospel together according to Acts one eight, as you directed us in Jesus' name. Amen.